to be able to share what's going on in our lives. Um, we, uh, I want you to know that I do pray for for you uh, at least weekly um, on my prayer list that, uh, that God will continue to work in each of your lives and help you as you uh, try to grow in him. And today we want to look at uh, Colossians 3. We're actually making progress. We're going to be in Colossians 3. We're not going to get very far today. Uh, that's okay. Uh, we're going to probably get through the first four verses. But in order to start this, I want to do a running start and start up in, in chapter 2, verse 20, and then read all the way through uh, chapter 3, verse 4. It's just a few verses, but I thought it would help us get on track with where we're at. So uh, we're in, in uh, Colossians chapter 3 and starting, with, uh, but we're going to start with chapter 2 and verse 20 and read through the first four verses of chapter 3. So Colossians 2.20, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, think of that as philosophies of this world. Why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't touch, don't, don't taste. These all are designed to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in uh, restraining sensual indulgences. Remember that what we're talking about here before we jump into chapter 3. Remember what we're talking about here, these human teachings and commands. This is the false teaching that he's talking about. He's not necessarily talking about the Pentateuch or about the Torah. He's talking about the commands that man has created, the teachings that man has created that has perverted all of that. Okay? So let's start again. Let's continue on with chapter 3, and starting in verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. All right, that's our, that's our, t our, our goal for the day, is to get through four verses. <laughs> we'll see how well we do. Um, you know, one of the things is that um, uh, in these last two chapters, we've, we've dealt with salvation. We're now going to be dealing with sanctification over the next uh, few uh, chapters, these next two chapters. And so we're going to start figuring out how that all applies to our lives. One of the things that I've noticed in these last two chapters of Col uh, Colossians is that uh, uh, it doesn't do us much good as Christians to see Declare our faith and defend our faith, uh, but fail to demonstrate our faith in our lives. God wants us to not only declare, not only to defend, but also to demonstrate, which is uh, a little different. And often we're really good at declaring what we believe. We're really good at, at going on the offensive, you know, and attacking people that, that, that don't believe like we do. But we also often fail to de demonstrate the faith and the truth that God's given to us. Um, I'm reminded of, of uh, Titus 1.16, where it says, they profess to know God, but in their works they deny him. And I think that sometimes we get caught up in 
maybe declaring and defending, but we don't really do any works that provide for the proof of the pudding. You know, sometimes it's like where the rubber meets the road or putting your money where your mouth is, as the, as the saying goes. Sounds like James again. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's, um, it's, it's horrible how that keeps cropping up, isn't it? <laughs> We're still uh, waiting. <laughs> I, I'm asking God to see what he has to say. Of course, he and I are having a little conversation about that, that book. <laughs> Although, for what it's worth, it seems like I'm kind of almost living part of it now anyhow. So maybe yeah. I should just go ahead and get it over with, huh? Yeah. It'll be good for you. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks for being concerned about my spiritual welfare there, Gary. Which, I, I, I appreciate that. I think you just want to enjoy my agony. That's all it is. <laughs> well, we have to do it while we're still on Zoom, though, so that I, I don't miss it up here. Oh, oh, oh okay. Well, we're, for, the, for the real foreseeable future, I can't see us at least before the first of the, of the year. It'd be the earliest that we might get back to it. In fact, I, I'm so committed to Zoom right now that I want you to know that I went ahead and, and paid for a year's uh, the, of the, uh, the advanced Zoom where I could, uh, we can have anybody, as many people as we want, come on Zoom for us versus the, the freebie. I just and, went and uh, paid for the year. I was paying it by the month, and they offered a deal. I think it saved me 30%. If I just paid for the whole year, I said, okay, fine. I'm done. I did it. So, well, we can. Uh, I'd be willing to chip a little bit in. Tell us how much it was. We we can get that. Oh, it right wasn't right. that much. It was. Uh, I think it was like 120 bucks or something like that. Oh, that's pretty cheap. Ten bucks a month. So, yeah, yeah, it wasn't. It ended up not being bad. I think it was like 14 bucks a month or something like. I I don't I don't remember exactly. I just remember that he offered it and I said, yeah, let's just do it. Put it on my credit card and I'll figure it out later. All right. Actually, we'll probably just take it out of the, out of our ministry budget. So, okay. um, but well, if you want to contribute to the ministry, we that's just fine. send it. We just send something to the ministry budget then. Yeah, you can send it to the ministry budget. That'd be great. Perfect. Yeah, that'd be great. We'll put it in the bucket on our way out. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. We've got a bucket for you with an orange top. <laughs> I'll collect. I'll collect. <laughs> okay, Rick's, Rick's going to stand at the door and collect as we leave. All right. So, um, one of the things that's interesting is that in Paul's day, uh, uh, you, you know, pagan worship, pagan religions said little or nothing about personal morality. In, in fact, you were often at times, some of the religions encouraged immorality as part of the worship setting. And yeah. so, a worshiper could bow before an idol, put his offering on the altar, and go back and live the same life of sin that he'd always lived. And it wasn't a big deal because you could always go back and do another offering if you needed to. But when a person, because that person had no direct relationship uh, with, with the creator and, it, and how he lived and how he behaved and how he worshiped were, were totally different. That sounds very similar to the continuing sin offerings of the Jews too. It, it did in a way, yeah, and, and often it, it, what the, the, the difference was what, what was in your heart, in, yeah. in the sense that the Jews would, would do this on a daily, you know, on a, a weekly or daily basis as necessary. If they, made, if they sinned, they had a sin offering they could give, and then once a year, of course, the, uh, the high priest uh, 
you know, made an offering for all of the sins of the entire nation. Uh, but the idea was that you were supposed to have this relationship with Yahweh. And uh, there were a lot of people that treated it like the pagans around them, that, you know, it was just uh, something they had to do. And after that, it was, they were good. As, that was it. They didn't have to worry about it. And so that becomes, you're right, that becomes an issue. Uh, that becomes a way of life. Yes, it does. In fact, it's one of the things that we're tempted to do as well, when you think about it. Because we think that if we just go and confess to God, then we're good and we can go out and do it again. Much like what happens often in, a, in the Roman church, where you would go on a weekly basis, confess your sins, take you know whatever penance you had to do, and you're good to go until the next week. They actually go every day sometimes. I know Some that. people do, yeah. 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 You know, I, I never I never felt like I sinned that much. <laughs> but anyhow, that's a whole nother story. I hope ah. <laughs> we'll be the judge of that. Yeah, that's what you think. <laughs> I appreciate you taking God's place because there's no, there's only one judge that I have to answer to, and it ain't you, buddy. <laughs> or any of you. Although you do judge me quite often, I've noticed. But that's okay. Yeah. Well, we're not judging, we're discerning. <laughs> you're, you're fruit inspectors, right? Right. Yeah, there you go. Well, my problem is that, yeah, I have a hard time. It seems like creating fruit sometimes. All right. So the Christian I think I'd faith be more though, afraid brings... of them, of I'm God, sorry? than them. I think I'd be more afraid of them than God. You're afraid of the fruit that I'm, I'm not afraid. Of? I'm not afraid of them. I'm, oh. I'm more afraid of God. I'd rather... They could judge me all they want. I don't really care. Yeah, you know that. Okay, we're gonna start a group. <laughs> Go ahead. That, that's true. Except you'd be surprised how often, um, you know, you tend to shade things based upon the fact that, and do things based upon you don't want to upset other people. Like I've yeah. told you this story about being on the platform and feeling, you know, called to do certain things, and then not because, well, I was afraid of what the people would say. And I'd sat down in my seat one yeah. one Sunday and and bawled because I realized that I was more interested in what the people would, would say about what I was doing versus about what God was prompting me to do. And I thought, I've become a people pleaser. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and not a God pleaser. And I I think I think we probably all struggle with that from time to time. We know what's right, but we choose you know, and I will tell you that there have been times when I have done things that I know I should have done because it's what God laid on my heart. And there are times when I've done it as a result of the fact mm. that I didn't want to disappoint my wife because she one time told me this, and this always sticks in my mind. Mm. She, she said to me, she says, I know that you're going to make the right choice and not the easy choice because you always do. And I go, mm. talk about pressure. Oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> You know, it should be pressure from God, but instead I'm, I'm worrying about, you know, well, how's my wife going to appreciate what I'm doing? I'm like, but think about that, that it takes, sometimes it, it, we, we, we go, we, we, we submit to wrong choices because, you know, we're afraid of what people will say. And as a, in my early on in my life, I, I just chose not to do that. I always walked whatever the, the, the course that God laid out. I was willing to walk it. It didn't matter. And it did affect, it did affect my ministry at times. 
and and it wasn't probably as as um, as large of a ministry as I wanted because well because I did what God said to do mm-hmm. and said okay whatever it is that's what we'll do and if He's happy then I need to be happy and content with that and that's a tough thing to do it is okay. it might mean that you don't get ahead in life yeah. the way you wanted to. It, it well, might now, now you're back to comparing yourself to others. You don't, if you don't compare yourself to others, you don't know where head is, do you? Yeah, well, yeah. In fact, you, uh, for those of you who attend Kensington, you saw the quote that was put up there about that Steve Andrews had said. And I, I've often said something very similar. You know, God's definition of success is obedience. It's not numbers. It's not viability. It's not money. It's not people it's not noses or nickels it's obedience did you obey that's how you know whether or not you're successful or not hmm. in god's eyes that's a whole different story when you start comparing it you know that's why when you know we have the problem the issues of what's right and what's wrong what's white what's black what's you know good what's bad all of those things that we go through all those struggles we go through and the world tells us that what's wrong is right and we're going, no, it's not. And then we, st- you know, we, then we end up being the, uh, the nail that gets hit with the hammer because we stick, we're sticking up. <laughs> be, the, be the nail and accept the hammer. Isn't that, isn't that with God giving us free will? Because each of us is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. I knew you'd You're, recognize that stop, one. Stop quoting, stop quoting James to me. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Tom. You're mean. Oh, man. Mean. <laughs> so from the pagan, you know, remember we're talking about pagans. We're not talking necessarily about Jews. The pagans, this is a whole new concept. You, you mean I have to? I have to live my life morally. I have to do what is appropriate in, in God's eyes versus, you know, I can just do whatever I want and, and, you know, pay the penalty of whatever offering I have to make. Yeah. You know, we, he can, God cannot live within us by his spirit and permit us to live in sin. He hmm. can't. Uh, there was a... Um, uh, I, I don't know if I, I can't remember the exact quote. It's something I've, I've stated, but a, a friend of mine posted this and I reposted it on Facebook. All I got to do is find it now. <laughs> and of course, I won't be able to find it. You'll. Um, it's a, um, you know what? It's going to be in Messenger. Oh, I think, is it here? You'll find it at eight o'clock. I'll worry. probably find it at eight o'clock. I can't find it real quickly, but it was <laughs> it was uh, it was basically the idea that God, um, you know, God loves us enough that He'll accept us for where we are in spite of what we are. But mm-hmm. He loves us so much that He won't He won't keep us there. He's going to make us. He's going to develop us into conforming into God into Christ's image. And I can't for the life of me put it. Uh, I don't know. It's there someplace on my wall. Okay. We believe you. Some of you are looking for it. Maybe if you if you find it, read it for us. 
All right, so let's take a look here. This sense, this this lays the foundation. This word sense, sense, lays the foundation for uh, our theology, and now for our theology specifically in in uh, sanctification. Notice that there are two commands that happen here. Um, in verses uh, one and verses two, in verses one it says, "Set your heart on things above." The second command is set your mind on things above. They're parallel, but they don't mean the same thing. Often in scripture, especially in poetry, uh, we use parallelisms and we're saying the same thing just in different words. This is a little different. These are parallel, but different in their meaning. In fact, give you an example. The, in the Greek, there is no word for heart here. It's implied. And in, in the, trans, the translators infer it like that. I use that correctly, implied and inferred. So the in, inference is that it's our heart that needs to be. Now, the second command is, uh, is actually uh, set your mind on things above is actually uh, part of the verb in the Greek. It's be mindful. Uh, or be minded about things above, be mindful of things above. Uh, the, the, this is a term that uh, talks about, uh, it includes value and love. And so uh, if I was going to look at these two terms, I would look at the first one where it says, uh, uh, the second uh, command, it says, set your mind on things above. We're talking about values. What do you value? What do you value? Are you talking about um, the differences between verse one and verse two? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Between mind and, and heart. Set your heart on things above. Set your mind on things uh, above. And okay. uh, give, give yeah, in my translation, here. verse one, it says, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits. Okay. And verse right. two says, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. So All two, right. definitely thinking. Um, one's a little more ambiguous in NLT. Yeah, yeah. I recently found out that I had another professor that was involved in in the translation of the NLT, but he was he was involved with the Old Testament. He did mm. a lot of the minor prophets. Um, anyhow, in the first one, when we talk about hearts, we're talking about our desires or our moral position our hearts deal with our desires and our moral positions are uh, the second one. Uh, when we talk about set our minds on things above, we're talking about our values and our mental uh, thought process. So we're talking about values and, uh, and mental thought processes versus the first one. The first command has to do with our desires and our moral uh, response, how, we, how moral we are as a person. Those two things are really tough. And those two things uh, are things that are uh, spoken about by Jesus, even back in John 3. Remember we, this guy by the name of Nicodemus, who's a, uh, one of the leaders of the Pharisee movement? Um, if you have watched the, the Chosen, you'll know that he's uh, fairly high up, apparently, according to their, their storyline. But apparently he was, he was on the, he was on the Sanhedrin. He's an important person. So he's one of the top 
the top guys in the country when it comes to uh, uh, Pharisees. And remember that Jesus says to him, you can't just be born of earth, but you also have to be born of heaven, born from above. You must be born again. He's talking about being born above. This is in John uh, 3, 12, through 12 and 13. In fact, let's just look there real quick. I'll see if I can quickly get there. John 3. And verses uh, 12 and 13, he says, I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How will you, how then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. So we, Jesus is even talks about this concept early on. And it is something that we struggle with. These two realms exist. Set our mind on things above. And too often I set my mind on things of earth. And yet God has said, put your heart and your mind. Both of those things, put it where it's supposed to be, on things above. Um, and then notice it says that he is, where, put your heart where, uh, on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This imagery uh, speaks to Psalm 110. And, and, and in fact, uh, Hebrews talks about this, and it's also talked about in, in, all, in three of the Gospels. And, the, and Psalm 110, verse 1 says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And in the early church, this was one of the huge proof texts that Jesus was, was God. This, in fact, in Matthew, he, he quotes in Matthew twenty two forty four. he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put my, your enemies under your feet. Uh, Mark, in Mark twelve thirty six, it says, David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put my, your enemies at your feet. Luke says the same thing that David himself declares in the book of Psalms. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my, sit at my right hand. What did David mean? Why are there two lords? How can someone be lord over another lord? Well, that's where we get the term lord of lords, which also, by the way, comes from the oh. Persian understanding as well. Hmm. Persian king declared himself to be the lord of lords. <clears throat> Jesus declares that he is lord of lords. Or as uh, David ben Lu used to say, was one of my favorite uh, Jewish Fully converted Jews. Um, he was an evangelist that came out of the camps in, in Nazi Germany. He used to talk about the Lord of Lords and Kink of Kinks. <laughs> it was always one of my favorite terms. When I was a kid, I used to, I would go around saying that all the time because I loved the <laughs> fact that he, you know, his his just had a hard time pronouncing the words apparently correctly. Bell, but, I yeah. noticed that uh, the scripture has you know, the first Lord is capitalized, meaning God. Mm -hmm. The second one isn't. So is... I don't know translation. Okay. Well, it, it, what I was wondering is, is this God talking, you know, like a king was called a Lord. Yep. So 
this is, is how David Lord. Could that yep. be God talking to David? Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, yep. Because I mean, it goes on, and it's you know, it's that that he's going to be with David when he's fighting all his enemies. Yep. Yep. And again, this is this is a this was a major proof text, especially in the early church, especially among Jewish believers, that showed that oh, there is a there is a God, and and Jesus is the is the Lord. All right. So now they also notice it also says he sits at the right hand of God. What does that mean? Sits at the right hand of God. There's two possible meanings that come out of this. Two possible explanations. I, by the way, I happen to think both are right. Just <laughs> heads up here. I'll be a millennial. <laughs> well, right hand is a power. Um, yes. Uh, authority. And that's the other one. You just named both of them. You're good. Yeah. Power and privilege or authority. And so mm -hmm. it, I think that both are here, but in this particular instance, uh, Jesus is elevated to the position of highest sovereign uh, in the universe. The only one who, who would perhaps overrule him would be God the Father, because he's sitting at the right hand of, of God the Father. <coughs> which is a position of power and also a position of privilege and authority. And I think that that particular uh, idea of elevated position of highest sovereignty over the universe is probably what best fits this text, this text. So although they do, I think they merge perfectly and without any differences between that in, in our understanding of who God and who Christ is. Um, but we're talking here about the, the rule of Christ in the world. And there's a twofold perspective from believers. There, the, we live in two domains. Remember, kingdom, domain, dumb comes from domain. Domain means it, an area of influence or, or rule. And so we, we have the first domain that we live in is the fallen order. And the second domain that we live in is the redeemed order. And their values are different, are different, aren't they? The value of the fallen world is different than the value of the kingdom, the God's kingdom. Or are they the same? No, they're different. <laughs> oh, okay. Just just check and see if you guys are still awake. <laughs> All right. So creation will ultimately pass away and the things of God will remain. But before they pass away, before this creation pass away, passes away, they're gonna they're gonna again reflect the glory of, of Christ, their creator, because Christ is going to put all things right at some point in time. And again, that comes from my wheelhouse. I realize that some of you might be a little different, but that's okay. I'm right. And we get to heaven, you'll find out that I am. All right. So we set our things on things above where Christ is seated. There's, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take just a couple of minutes and talk about, um, talk about this new life and, and about what the, the theological perspective of this and the difference between the, the hollow and deceptive philosophy that, uh, that, that, the, that the, the false teachers are teaching versus what God's teaching. All right, so here's the first thing. 
new life gets uh, underway with new orientation as Christians as we set our hearts on things above. And and here's my here's my takeaway from that. As we set our thing our our sights on and our hearts on things above and our mind on things above, since believers are in Christ, they already belong to the world above where He is. Number one. Number two. Christians already have the knowledge of that realm through their faith. Look at, at Colossians uh, two and verse twelve, where it says. Having, baptized, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. We've, we've, been, born, we've been born into that. We've been baptized into that. And so, therefore, uh, we already have the knowledge of the realm through our faith and do not attain it by using other mediators, uh, by pursuing uh, visionary sideshows, or, or by submitting to legalistic decrees, or by even mortifying our body, which is, by the way, what we talk about when we beat our body into subjection, or we wear a hair shirt, or we, you know, uh, deny ourselves uh, things. The aesthetics, ascetics, excuse me. I always get those two. I have a hard time saying those two for some reason. The third point of, of this first point that I made, the third letter C, if you will, is since Christ is not one of the serving angels, but reigns over all, all of our lives should be ruled by him. Every thought, every aim, every aspiration, every striving should be come under his lordship. I got to tell you, I have a hard time sometimes with that. I'd like to think I'm always there. But I, I, I have the fallen nature keeps creeping in there occasionally with my aims and my aspirations. And yet God says, my aim, my value, my aspiration, and my striving all should come under his lordship. So it ought to be subject to what he wants. My second point is this. Paul, Paul's uh, affirmation in, in, of the believer's life is that it is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. And it seals the previous warnings and it has some ethical implications that I think we ought to take a look at. One, uh, the believer's life in the one who reigns over the whole cosmos has yet to become unmistakably identified, evident to all observers. It's a hard time for us to, to sometimes live out our Christian faith so that everyone knows this. Dear friends, in 1 John 3, 2, it says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has, has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, or she, we will see him as it is. So we're in the process. It's a process that we're going through right now. And one's glorious appearance with Christ lies in the future. It hasn't happened yet. And this reality explains why those who adhere to the philosophy of this world and base their judgment only on what can be seen have dismissed and ridiculed our Christian hope of what will come in the future. Think about that. That's why we have a hope that others don't understand. That's why when 1 Corinthians says that what we preach to the Gentiles is foolishness, how often have we been called foolish in this world by what we believe? I had a, I had a believe it or not, I had a pastor when I was young. He was, uh, I was in my 20s, early 20s. Uh, I was explaining to him that I thought that you, we needed to live 
by the scripture, you know, and, and, and how we practice our lives. And we go to somebody if there's something wrong with them. And we, you know, Matthew 5 and Matthew 18, where it says, if you have ought against the brother, you know, go to him. And if the brother has ought against you, you need to go to him. And I'm explaining that to this pastor. And he looked at me and sat back in his chair, leaned back in it and said, Val, you're foolish if you think that works in today's world. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, then I guess I'm foolish and you're a Gentile, according to 1 Corinthians. And I walked out of his office. By the way, I didn't do very well at that church. I wasn't on staff. I was just a member. I had been in that church since I was in junior high. You know, and I'm talking to this guy about something that happened, and he's telling me that what what I think should happen is foolish. And I'm going, it's scriptural. How can it be foolish? Well, his mind was not on things of on things above. He was living by worldly standards. I think what happens, and not being obviously a pastor, I think you you try to play to your people, and because of that, you you lose sight of uh, where you're at a lot of times, and you get caught up in the in all of the um, I don't want to say crap, but on all of the the stuff that really has nothing to do with the word at times, and I think you're right, not being not being a pastor, I, I don't know what that's like. Um, well, but... it, it certainly can be a challenge, you know, to live. You try to live in a way that you hope is pleasing to God. And then people will come and tell you sometimes you're not. And then you take it to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, am I, am I right or am I wrong? And if I'm wrong, show me and help me correct my ways. But if I'm Don, right, help me stay true to it. Does Don, that... I, I would like to disagree with you. Okay. <laughs> We are called uh, to the priesthood, each one of us. Yes. Some are called to be the directors of the priesthood. Yeah. So in front of God, he doesn't listen to the pastor. He listens to everybody. Right. And if, if I repute you as my brother, you have the authority under God to correct me yeah which is what i which not to not to exactly that's what i'm saying when uh, when dan says we're not pastor i agree with him for the ter terminology that we think ah. of today yeah we're all Saturday. part of the priesthood exactly yeah so if we end out with the mind of god with the heart of god not the mind of, alone the heart of god we should be able to go to anybody as long as not our own ego or pride or whatever. Yeah, well, which is Galatians. Yeah, exactly. You, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, he says, Paul, he goes to the extreme and says, by doing so, you might save his soul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How in the world do you save the soul of somebody by preventing him from breaking his leg in a way? Mm -hmm. You know, not that you're wrong, Dan, but the responsibility falls uh, on you. I think, yeah, to yeah, prevent I, me from falling down almost. And, well, that's and that's a challenge. I think that we have. You know, when I was younger, when I was, you know, yeah. 
junior high, high school, even early in college, I was always, I always thought my pastors were on a pedestal. You know, I always thought they 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 could do no wrong, and part of that was the way that they approached their their ministry and the way that they interacted with their congregations. You know, they were up on a higher level than than I was. And I realized that there was no way in the world when I found a pastor that actually was on my level, I, I, I felt sorry for him, number one. Um, but number two, I felt like he was real. And well, he was somebody I was willing to, I was willing to commit to working with him in a ministry because he was, he was willing to listen. If he was wrong, he would admit he was wrong and he would change his way. Well, I think it's one of the, I don't know if it's attraction is the right word, but one of the things that that brought so many people to Kensington, especially former Catholics, was the fact that when the pastor was speaking, he was very self-effacing, and you could relate to him as as a person that was flawed, like the, just like the rest of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. And when you talk about setting your mind and, and, and uh, your hearts on God, uh, once again, it reminds us of James, who says, submit yourselves then to God. <laughs> I think everything changes when uh, we say my ministry rather yeah, than when we, yeah when you start thinking about it as my ministry and and sometimes we i think we we don't mean that when we say that sure but i think that when it, when it becomes a mindset that it's mine and it's not and we forget that it's god's you know right. I've, I've often wondered you know when you walk when god calls you to leave a ministry and you and you worry about whether or not you should leave it uh, you have to always remind yourself that it's not yours, it's God's. And, and right. God will take care of it. Yeah. I think that's the one thing I've enjoyed with Kensington. Um, they they just so um, giving to help people start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, they're not trying to, you know, wall you in. And uh, it's just what a refreshing outlook um, yeah. because that's mm -hmm. not typical Right, uh, people I've come across in it's, churches, uh, pastors. It's not, it's not to enable people; it's to empower people. Yeah, I think yeah, it's, yeah. It's one thing. It's one thing to give people uh, responsibility; it's another thing to also give them authority. Yeah, and and which means giving away part of your authority. And I think that's, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been always impressed with, with Steve was, uh, Andrews was the fact that if there was a church that was starting, he would say, you know, some of you need to go. Right. And help them. Yeah. Versus, you know, I had a, a situation with one pastor who told me, make sure that this plant, this, this satellite doesn't become a church. Well, why is that? Well, because some of the best tithers are... <laughs> attending that campus right <laughs> you don't think god can replace that let me get this straight you're you're worried about money <laughs> the world <laughs> hey guys have a good day gotta yep. go okay god bless you don here dan i'm remember i'm reminded of the fact that god holds the cattle on a thousand hills and if necessary 
it'll sell a few and, and, and supplement what you need, you know, I think. Okay. I told you this, I told you the story, this true story, uh, the founders of, uh, of uh, Dallas Theological Seminary were praying that God would provide funds. And they were, this is right after they, shortly after they had first started, and they, I think it was Lewis Sphere Schaefer, and I forget who, if it was, if it was Schofield or not, it might have been Schofield with them at the time. And they're 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 praying about you know God will you provide the need, uh, and one of them says Lord you have the cattle on a thousand hills of wealth in every mine we could use some of that wealth right now, and there's a knock on the door interrupting their prayer time and it's the secretary to the president, and he goes he kind of chastises her gently he says you know we we're busy praying we don't really we ask for no interruptions he says I think you'll want this interruption. So he goes out and meets this gentleman, and the gentleman says, uh, I'm uh, so-and-so, and I have this big ranch in Texas, which, you know, if you have a big ranch in Texas, that means something, because all ranches are big in Texas. Anyhow, he says, I just drove my cattle to the market, and I got a check, and God laid it on my heart that I should give you my, my check for my cattle drive to you for the, for the school. And he's going, the Schofield says, can you believe it? We just were asking God, you know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and wouldn't it be nice if he sold a few? Here he did. <laughs> he gave us a check. <laughs> and I'm thinking, why is it that we worry? Why do we worry about things when God says, I'll take care of it? Do what I do as I want you to do, and I will provide. And if I don't provide the way you think I'll provide, then you need to look for another way I'm going to provide. I'm reminded of, uh, oh, what was the, um, and my mind just went blank as the guy's name. Uh, he, he owned, he, he owned, he uh, had a ministry with orphans in, in, um, uh, in England. George somebody. George, yeah, George somebody. I can't remember his last George name. George Mueller. Mueller, that's it. Thank you. He's and they, they they sit down to a breakfast with no food, and he thanks God for the food that they're gonna that God's gonna provide. There's a knock on the door. It's a driver of a milk truck. These are ones that they go around. We're not talking a tanker. We're talking with the the you know the metals, milk jugs. You know those big metal whatever they are jugs of milk. And his his tra his uh, his uh, trailer or his cart his carton it, it broke down right outside of the of the nursery and he had all this milk that he couldn't get to the market and he said would you like to have it he goes thank you Lord he took it in and he had milk at least he had milk for for all of the the orphans yeah you know that it's amazing sometimes when God when God provides in ways we just don't expect hmm. so we're out of time and I'm gonna leave it there we didn't actually get through all four verses we got through almost two just say how good we did. That's, that's, we're doing great no, no, we'll we'll deal with more with this in the coming weeks uh we'll the next week and we'll continue on with this and with the rest of chapter three chapter three is just loaded with great stuff i can't wait to share with you uh some of the things that that we'll discover in, in chapter three just remember this we are to set our mind on things above and not on things of the earth. We're to set Amen. our heart on things above and not on things of the earth. When we do that, God is pleased.
When we do that, we acknowledge that we are in a different kingdom. We have a different set of responsibilities than what we currently are sometimes used to doing. With that in mind, God bless, and we will talk to you the next time we have next week. See ya.